You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys, welcome to River, and it's so good to see you. And uh, if you're new to River, especially want to give you a shout out and grateful that you're here. And uh, if you are, we are, we're kind of an average, ordinary church, if you will. And uh, we're not trying to make any, inflate ourselves, make much about us. We're just trying to honestly make much about Jesus. But if you'd like to uh, find out more about our church or be connected in any way, shape, or form, there's little cards in, the, in a number of the rows in front of you. It just has a place for you to put your name or email or cell phone, whatever, and uh, we'll be glad to reach out and connect with you sometime this week. But uh, this morning, I'm excited to share with you out of the, the last part of John 1. And I've got a question for you this morning is, who are you really following? Who, who are you following in your life right now? Who, not who are you aspiring to follow, not who are you trying to emulate or be like, not who you hope you're following or want to follow, but who are you legitimately really following in your life? If you contemplate that a little bit, my guess is there's probably more than one answer to that. You know, there's probably some areas of your life where you're following and doing what your parents did. Newlyweds, when they get married, half the early on fights is because one person does one way they're used to with their family, another another way, and they're like, why are you doing that? That's crazy. Well, I don't know. We always did it this way. It's crazy to not do it this way. And, you know, you're kind of probably some things in your life, you're still probably following what, you know, mom or dad, you know, taught you. Maybe you're following some in areas of your life what, you know, your boss has said, or maybe your best friend, or maybe popular opinion, and maybe you're following your own heart. But we're going to see this morning that Jesus Christ, when He came, He tells us to follow Him. And much of what we are as River is to spend our whole life bringing our life into alignment, Him bringing our life into alignment to where we are following Him in every single area. We're going to see this morning that Jesus is now on the scene as we've started in the Gospel of John, and we've looked at what John the Apostle told us about who Jesus is. And we Last week we looked about John the Baptist, the baptizing, and who he began saying Jesus is. Well, this morning we see Jesus, we get a little glimpse that he calls his first disciples to him, his first followers, and he says, come, follow me. I want to share with you the steps of what it means to follow Jesus. Very simply, four simple steps that we see in this passage going from from very beginning all the way to to the end. Four steps, and along this way, I want to encourage you to figure out and find out which step are you on right now. There's not 10, there's not 20, there's really only four. And so whether you're new to following Jesus, or whether you're trying to figure that out, or whether you've been following Jesus a long time, there's some things in here this morning. So read with me. John chapter 1, verse 35. You can open your Bible if you would, or it's on the screen, or I guess you can open an app. That still applies, right? Most of you guys don't bring a paper Bible. By the way, you can flip to a page. Like if I go to different verses, you can all day long flip to a page faster than you can work and maneuver an app. But, uh, but these don't fit in your pocket too well. You know, kind of, they didn't make a holster like they did for cell phones. So anyway, John 1, verse 35, enough of that. The next day, again, John was standing. This is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. He was standing with two of his disciples. You get the flow of this. John's unpacking force like, like a, a historical. This is all happening within a week. Hey, Jesus is here. John the Baptist is on the scene talking. The very next day, now John was standing with two of his disciples, his own followers. 
And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. Jesus was just kind of going by. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus told him the day before, apparently Jesus wasn't on the scene. He said, hey, there's one who's coming after me who's greater than I am. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He is the one. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. And then the next day, Jesus walks by. And John says, there he is, the Lamb of God, that Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The two disciples, the two guys that were following and listening to John, hanging on his every word, they heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They said, goodbye, John. We are now going to follow Jesus. We're not followers of you, disciples of you. We're going to be followers and disciples of Jesus. In verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following. I almost get the picture like Jesus is just walking by, just wanting to see, who. all right. Which of this crowd is going to turn around? I'm going to turn around. Who's going to be following me? He's just walking by, not saying anything. And so he turns around. He sees these two guys following him. And and, uh, if I can get my glasses worked out here, goodness. I got these cool glasses. They fold like little things and I don't lose them. I stick them in my pocket. You've seen me walk around here for like two years and they fall off. Last night we had a fire. They fell off in the trash can. I put the wood, I had wood in the trash can. I put the wood in the fire. My glasses went in the fire because I had them in my pocket. So, but now I'm discovering these things are driving me crazy. So you definitely didn't want to know any of that, but that gave me time to fix it. All right. So Jesus turned and saw them following, verse 38, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? By the way, if people ask where you're staying, don't tell them. In our day and age, that's a bad idea. Like, you you know, they they don't need to know your address. They don't need to know your social security number. They weren't creeping on Jesus. Jesus knew that, but they wanted to know, like, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was standing, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon, we would say. So one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We don't know who the other guy was. Possibly, if not likely, John the Apostle. He just probably didn't mention his own name, but it was probably Andrew and John. Very possible, anyway. And so Andrew was there, and he, he first, in verse 41, found his own brother, Simon, He said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. That's the Savior. We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I want to share with you about what it means to follow Jesus. These passages are just... It's so wonderful to hear how these guys began following Jesus and just the simplicity of what that's like. Not unlike our lives. We're just going about our way, doing our thing, and we have conversations that just all of a sudden turn and introduce us to something new in our life. And many of you, that was your story. You were living your life, following whatever you need to do, knowing the best you know how to do, making your way in this world. And in the circumstances of life, a friend or you heard something on the radio or something happened that you thought, I need to look into that more. I, I, I need to find out about God and what this is all about. And, and what was going on is you were kind of hanging out and God was working in your life. And Jesus, in essence, was going by you and saying to you, hey, come follow me. Step number one with you and I following Jesus is, is that Sometimes we need to say goodbye. We need to say goodbye. 
John the Baptist, his job was to prepare the way in people's hearts for Jesus. He was the warm-up man for Jesus. Jesus was the main event. John was the warm-up act. And he had gathered some people around him. These two most likely were baptized by John. I would imagine that. We don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. And so they were listening to what John had to say. God was working in their hearts, speaking to them. But when it came time and they saw Jesus, it was time to move on. They needed to say goodbye, and they needed to start following Jesus. You see, that's so common in our lives, is that when we begin to get serious about following Jesus, oftentimes we need to say goodbye to some of the things in our past. Oftentimes when we begin to to follow Jesus, we need to say goodbye to some of our past experiences, some of our past religious teachers. Now, John the Baptist wasn't offended. He knew his job was to do the handoff. His job wasn't to keep the football and run it in the end zone. His job was to be the quarterback and give it really the one who, who needed it, and that was Jesus. His job was just to be a billboard to point people to Jesus so John the Baptist could have said when they left him and went to Jesus, like, I'm doing my job because it's all about him. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But for you and for me, many of us, when we've been brought up in homes or brought up going to churches and that told us some truth, maybe not all the truth, maybe had some of it in different pieces of it. Along the way, as adults, we have to say, you know what? I can't put my eggs in that basket. I need to say goodbye to some of those teachings. I need to say goodbye to some of those individuals because I'm going to choose and follow Jesus. As I've talked with so many people over the years, I'm amazed as adults that we can get hung up. What would my mom and dad say? And, you know, people who've passed away and they're struggling in their heart by like walking, you know, wanting to pursue Jesus, something that they sense God drawing them to and they wrestle with that, 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 you know, am I dishonoring them or dishonoring, you know, a previous uh, experience or church or tradition or minister? But I want us to recognize that when we follow Jesus, it's about following Him. It's not about following anything in our past experiences. In fact, it's walking away and simply turning our heart toward where Jesus is. So step number one is we have to be willing to say goodbye. In the process of that, we have to say goodbye because we're going to follow Jesus. Step number two is notice that Jesus says, come and see. I love the passage where they said, "Where, where are you going? Where are you staying tonight? Come and you'll see. And they stayed with him that night. Isn't that so crazy? You just have walking down the sidewalk and somebody's following you, you know, like stalking you. And they're like, where are you staying? And they will come stay, come see. And so they come and they spend the night at Jesus' house. Wherever Jesus was staying is where they stay. That is just crazy. Like you, we would never do that today and rightfully so. But it was fine in their culture and their day. But Jesus said, come and see. So step one is to be willing to say goodbye. Step two is to come check it out. Come check out exactly where Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus stands for, what His teaching is. Look and see. You know, when, when God begins working in our life, he, he doesn't put fine print in here. He's not trying to bury things and get us to, to, to believe something or to stake our life on something where we don't know what's going on. He wants us to see. He opens the door. He says, come check it out. Look at it. Read the next, the rest of the passage. I didn't read it at the very beginning, but read the next story. These, both these two little snippets are people who began following Jesus. Look at what verse 43 says. I'm going to read down through the end here. 
And the Bible says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So that was one day, and now we're on the next day. And next week is going to be the third day. There's going to be a wedding, uh, a miracle that Jesus does. But here's the in-between day. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found him. The Jewish world was awaiting for the Savior and the Messiah. And these guys are saying, We've found him. We've got him. We've got the guy. And Nathanael, the ever skeptical you know, I'll believe it when I see it, and you can't tell me anything. I'm going to see it for myself. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can, can, can anything, like, seriously? He was partly right, because the Messiah was supposed to come out of Bethlehem. The Messiah, like, Nazareth, Nazareth, what? Like, there's nothing special about that. Well, look what Philip says to him. Come and see. All right, big boy. Just come and see. See for yourself. And apparently he got up and Philip, and they went. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, you got to get this. He's got a little bit of attitude in his voice here. How do you know me? You don't know me. How do you know me? Jesus said, answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I knew you were there. That's a euphemism, and it's a way of expressing in the Jewish world. He was spending time alone with God under that tree, getting some quiet time. And Jesus is like, I know what you were doing. I saw you. And he was amazed. And Nathaniel answered him in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You see, Jesus said, come and you'll see. Philip turned around to Nathaniel and said, why don't you come? Come and see. Step two is to come and to see. You see, there is that next step when God begins stirring in somebody's heart and maybe in your heart and you're trying to figure things out. Well, you're coming and seeing. You're trying to understand. You're trying to figure what this is, what's going on in your life. You're trying to make sense of it and you're trying to understand Scripture. And you're in this step too. You're like a Philip, little skeptical, got some questions like, I don't know about all this and what's going on. I've had conversations with some of you. You know, you, you start going to a church and you're like, can you really, should you be careful about that church because, you know, that's a weird one. And just like Nathaniel, he came and saw and he got more than he was expecting. He's like, you, you're it. You're the king of Israel. Oh my goodness, you really are the Son of God. For some of you who are new at seriously trying to figure out who Jesus really is, this come and see stage is critical for you. You know, this would be the show and tell stage. This would be like, you know, Missouri, the show me state, you know, just show me. It's what God wants to do is to reveal into your mind and into your heart's conscience and into your world the truths of His Word that you might see that He is absolutely the legit God of the universe, that Jesus really is the Savior and Lord that He says He is, to demonstrate that. And so I, I encourage you, just like these guys, are, they stopped. I don't know what, what 
what Andrew, what his world was like if he was married or if his mom was expecting him at home. I don't, we don't know what was going on, but he's like on the spur of the moment, like, I'm staying here. He didn't have a cell phone to text, you know, hey, I'm not going to be home tonight, that kind of thing. He just, he reoriented his life and he began pursuing Jesus. You see, that come and see stage is where we have to begin reorienting our lives and we have to begin to putting some other priorities in there. We have to explore and experience what God said to us. Now, Jesus isn't walking in our midst physically, but what he did leave us with is his word. And so the come and see stage is if you're in that world, you need to be opening God's word and saying, God, all right, I'm ready to come and see. Show me where you are. Show me out of your word. You need to know for yourself, not because somebody said it up front, not because somebody said something that you heard 20 years ago or five years ago or something you heard today, but you need to see for yourself because the God in heaven wants you to meet Jesus yourself as you read the Bible yourself, as you open it up. And I encourage you, if that's the stage we're in, it's part of the reason we're going through the Gospel of John, and part of it is we just need as a church to spend some time with, with Jesus, if you will, but I encourage you to read through over these next few weeks and months, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and simply just, just say, God, I'm here. I want to come and see. Would you show me what I need to know? The come and see stage, if you're doing that, it's you're hanging around other people who are following Jesus. You see, for those of you who do know Jesus and have been following Him, that's why most people that trust Jesus Christ at River and probably many, if not most churches today, they come through Christ in a relationship. This is not back in the 50s and 60s where there was big revival meetings happening and some big names like Billy Graham and those kinds of things where people would just come to those events and hear the gospel and trust Christ. What's Even back then, and even more so today, what's beneath those things are relationships of people. And people who don't know Jesus, just like we see here, who knows somebody who does know Jesus, and they begin finding out about Him. You see, initially what I'm saying is, is the first Bible people are ever going to read is the Bible that's in your life. The first Jesus that people are going to see is the Jesus in you as you live that out and as you engage them and relate to them. and as you, They, they begin to see and to, and to taste, and they begin to early on just living life. And whatever that connection point is for you, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a friend, whether it's somebody you have a hobby with, or you like to go running with, or exercise with, or somebody at the gym you meet, or whomever, but as you get to know them, and they begin to discern and discover some things in your life, and God begins to use you, what's happening in that early stage of life is that they are coming, and they're seeing Jesus, and they're seeing Him in you. You see, most people that we've seen trust Christ over the last few years at River have come to that place because they've entered into that stage too because of relationships with, with you guys. That's what actually, that's what our whole focus is, is for this Operation Christmas Child. Rather than just being a church that says, okay, we're going to do some nice shoe boxes and send them out and feel good about that to kids that are in need, which is a good thing, we're trying to kind of step it up and say, you know what, what a great opportunity to invite people that don't know Jesus, other family members who would never walk in here on a Sunday morning and sit and listen to a sermon, but, oh, I, yeah, I would love to pack some shoe boxes, some boxes to send some toys and needs to kids around the world. Yeah, I'd love to be a part of that. And what's going on is we're just trying to provide a come-and-see event. 
that people who are not uh, who are far from God, who you know that know you, to put, create a, an environment and an opportunity where there's not going to be a preaching or a sermon or any of that, but they can start dipping their toe in the water a little bit and to say, well, those people are actually kind of nice. They are all right. I, I like that. So they, they can begin experiencing those things. You see, God wants us, when we know Jesus, He wants us to put ourselves out there, to have those relationships with people. Both Andrew and, and Philip, they didn't say a whole lot. Like, hey, we think we found the guy. And then I love... I love Nathaniel when Nathaniel said, eh, you can hear him like, eh, can anything get out of that? I don't know about this. What do you know, Philip? You're close. And Philip's like, hey, why don't you check it out? I love that. You know what happens too often today? People grouse a little bit and gruff or whatever, and we're like, okay, yeah, sorry. Should have kept my mouth closed. And Philip didn't, but in a very appropriate way, he said, all right, you make the call, but I dare you to come check it out for yourself. I dare you to come, to come and see. Parents in the room, your job with your children, when you're, before your children trust Christ, they are at step two. Come and see. See, that's what the job of the parent is. The job of the parent is to help their children to test and to see if God is really good, if God is really the good God that He says He is. And as they live with, as they live with you and in your house and as you... Uh, live your life, they should see the truths of the Bible in your life. The sermons they should see happen in your home 24-7. They should see that. And along the way, they should see what the world has to offer. And they know what your life has been like. And they say, man, I don't want that. I want, yeah, there's some of that that I like. And ooh, but that's a problem. But this is really what makes sense. And I want Jesus. Too often in homes, there's a disconnect with the parents that have not lived, and this is really the fourth step that we're going to talk about, but a life that has followed Jesus and obeyed Him. And when the kids see a disconnect where the parents go to church and they hear one thing, but they see a completely different reality in their home life, those kids reject all the time. Well, Sean, Mike. My child's an adult and they're not following Jesus. Are you saying that I've not lived the way I should? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when you don't live the way you should, pretty much every time the kid's going to reject that because they see hypocrisy and none of us want to be involved in anything that's hypocritical. So parents, your job is your child is in that come and see stage that just subtly all the time, whether you're eating dinner together or watching a football game together or doing chores around the house or going to, to games and they're playing whatever, but it's to see Jesus in your life so that along that way, sometime down the road, God begins speaking into their heart and begins to deal with them personally and to draw them to you. And mom and dad, let me encourage you, if your kids have grown up and they've kind of turned their back on church or God or those kind of things down the road, don't ever underestimate those teachings and those learnings early on because God is a patient God. He works over decades, not over minutes. He works over years and years and years and decades. And don't ever underestimate the long arm of God that is mighty to save. And you continue to pray for and trust in all those things, those seeds that you plant in their life, 
Trust that the God of heaven will work, no matter how grousy they are and how whatever walls they put it in objections. You can't escape the reality of God in these truths. So the come and see stage, for some of you, you need to continue to need to open God's word and make a commitment to begin really examining who Jesus is. Make that commitment continuously and, and being connected at River with other people. And it's even what our life groups are for, folks. Our life groups are not just to sit and for us to gain knowledge in our head. Our life groups are where life is meant to happen. I, I love in our groups when we have people in there that, that don't know Jesus yet and are kind of in that journey. And that's where the seasoned followers of Jesus are supposed to help them and to represent Jesus. And God does things in their life along that way. Third thing, third step is not only do we come and see, but then we need, to, uh, we need to believe and surrender. You see, when, when Andrew came and told Simon Peter, this I don't believe will be on your screen, but when he told Simon Peter, he said, we found the Messiah. We found him. Andrew believed. He says, we've got the guy. Then Philip goes and he invites Nathaniel. And what does Nathaniel say? He says, teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He believed. And as we'll see, they believed and they surrendered. Step three, after a person has come and seen and tasted, decided whether they like it or not, there is a, a crossing of a bridge where a person believes and surrenders their life to Jesus. It's a non-negotiable passing. Too often people want to just come and taste and then hang out and bypass this step three and kind of go on to step four, which is just to follow Jesus and you know just keep learning and hanging out and being with Jesus. But this step three is there must be a personal commitment in the heart to believe and to surrender to Jesus. See, Peter experienced that surrender. What did Jesus do? First time Jesus met Peter, his name is Simon. That's the name his mom and dad said. I always wondered what mom and dad thought when Jesus came and changed his name. Like, really? Like, that's not what we called him. His name's Simon. I wonder if she changed it or not. But first thing Jesus did, changed his name. That's a bodacious, like, who are you? You don't have the authority to change my name. Like, if I went to you and said, oh, do you, I don't care what your birth certificate said. I don't care what your nickname is. I don't care what your mom and dad called you. Like, I'm changing your name. That is me exerting authority in your life. And you're going to tell me to take a hike and say, you can call me what you want, but that's not who I am. I'm not accepting it. You see, believing... A biblical belief involves a surrendering and an accepting of Jesus' authority in your life. When Nathaniel said, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It's not just a belief. It was a surrendering in his heart to the authority of Jesus in his life. Like I believe that Vladimir Putin is the president of Russia. You believe that? You ought to. But is he my president? He has no authority in my life whatsoever. Me declaring that has nothing. When Nathaniel said, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, he said, I believe it. And because I am a Jew, you are my king. 
You are my son of God. I am putting myself underneath you. I don't just believe this fact. I don't believe just this thing in my head that's out there. I'm surrendering and putting myself under your authority. You are the king. Oh, my goodness. Peter, recognize Jesus really is the Messiah, is the Savior, and absolutely. He wants to change my name. He can do whatever He wants in my life. See, that's that shed water experience. That is, some of you are at stage two, and stage two, the, or step two, the you know, coming and seeing, it can last six weeks, six months, six years. It can last a really long time in a person's life, and for everybody that's different. But make no mistake, no matter how much you learn, no matter how much you learn the lingo, understand what's going on, the real breakthrough that, that you're looking for is when you take that next step and to say, okay, I am believing to the point that I am surrendering my life. I'm yielding myself to Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, the one that's in charge of me. There is a, a passing across of that bridge, a commitment in the heart. That's why nobody is just born a follower of Jesus. It seems that way to us if you've been brought up in a home that taught Christian truths and values and talked about Jesus day one because you've never known what it's not like to believe these things. But mom and dad, just like you with your kids, and, and for those of you that grew up in those kinds of homes, that doesn't take the place of your child or of you as an adult or older as a conscience being making a commitment in your heart to believe and to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. For me, that happened when I was 13 years old. Some people, it happens when they're 30. My in-laws, it happened in their 90s. Went to church all their life. They were in the come and see stage a very long time. But somewhere along the way, you've got to believe and surrender your life to Jesus and go across that bridge. Think about it this way. As you drive along the Hudson, you know, going further south, the farther you go, the harder it is to get across it, right? It gets, gets bigger and bigger. Way up in the near Mount Marcy, you can just step across the thing, the headwaters there, Lake Tier, the clouds. I mean, it's just a small little tributary and just the beginning of the waters, and it turns into the, the mighty Hudson. So there's a couple of churches that we relate to, sister churches down in the Poughkeepsie area, and uh, when I go down to see those pastors, I have to cross the Mid-Hudson Bridge. Uh, I have easy pass. I don't know how much it costs, but I think it's like a buck fifty. It's probably two fifty now. I don't know with inflation or whatever. But you know, I, I can't get. I want to get across the bridge because I want to get to the other side to talk to the, you know the pastors and my friends. So I have to pay the toll. Here's the deal. This step three is crossing over the bridge, and the difference is is that you and I don't pay the toll. It's you and I recognizing that Jesus paid the toll for us. That it was His death on the cross, His blood that was shed for our sins. That our sins earned us death and damnation ultimately, but Jesus died in our place. And when we surrender our life to Him, it's just like me yielding to that authority. When I drive through that, that, that um, toll booth, it's me yielding to the authority, to giving them permission to take that money out of my account. But the cool thing is, is when it comes to God, we don't do it. It comes out of Jesus' account and not our bank account. Our bank account is worthless. We, are, we have insufficient funds. We are all broke and broken spiritually. We have nothing good to give. 
But step three is you saying, God, I have nothing good to give. I want to get to that other side. I want to be a follower of you. I know that I should be. I aspire to be. I want that. I want what I see in other people's lives. And I can't pay for it. I surrender my life to you. And I receive Jesus. Too often people want to go around it. I don't know if they try to go hire a little boat at the bottom of the hill or whatever, but they just want to hang out spiritually and they miss step three and you can't get around it. There has to be that surrender of your life to Jesus. Those of you that are in step two of coming and seeing, the next step for you is getting to that point where you understand enough. Sometimes people are trying to understand everything. And you need to say, you know what? I understand enough. And I, under, I, I recognize enough. Jesus really is who He said He is. I put my trust into Him. That's step three. Step four is following and obeying. And this is a step we never leave. We stay there continually. If you're following somebody to go to dinner in a car behind them, they didn't tell you what, let's say for instance, they didn't tell you what restaurant they're going to, I mean, you're glued to their bumper, right? You're like, hey, if I lose you, pull over. You know, I know that doesn't really work that way. If reality be like, where are we going? Okay, I'll put in my GPS and I'll meet you there. But just play like, like it plays this way, right? Just work with me a little. Let's say you're following somebody. You're not, you're not planning on following them after the restaurant. They don't want you to follow them to their home. Right? They want you to go to your own home. But they're glad to go out to eat with you. So you follow them to that point. See, the difference is, is that when it comes to Jesus, we're just supposed to always follow Jesus. He is the destination. Like, you don't just follow Him today and then stop. When Jesus said, come and follow me, He said that to Nathaniel. He said, come follow me. Excuse me, he said that to Philip. He said to Philip. He found Philip and he said, follow me. He just didn't walk by Philip and said if he would do it. He said, hey, follow me. When Jesus said follow him, he meant continuously for the rest of your life, your commitment is to me. You belong to me. You are my disciple. You are my follower. Follow me. Do what I do. Yield yourself to my teaching. Learn of me. Let me change your life. Follow me. Follow and, and obey is really the import of what that means. Just like believing really means a believing and surrendering, following Jesus really means a following, being with Him, learning to the point that we obey and He changes our life in the process. It means following Him. Jesus looked at Peter and I referred to it earlier, and he said, you are Simon, the son of John. That's a third John, by the way. I just realized that. It's not John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. It's Simon's dad is another John. Pretty popular name. He said, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Here's the picture, guys. When you and I take that step of believing and surrendering Jesus, Jesus has plans for our life. Jesus changed Peter's name for a reason, not just because he wanted to and thought it would be fun, it's not that, you, that, that Peter had a big wart on his nose. The word Peter means little rock. It's not like, oh, what is that? That's a funny nose. You got like, that's like a rock. I think I'll call you. It's none of that. Nothing weird. You know, it's just Jesus had a plan for his life. And his plan was for Peter to follow him and for God to 
work in his life to represent him to the world around him. When Jesus told Nathaniel, you, you believe because I said one little thing? You really believe? Look what he says in, in verse 50. Jesus answered Nathaniel as the hymn. He said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You believe because I said that one thing? You will see greater than these, greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He said, Nathaniel, you believe with that one little thing? You haven't seen anything yet. You continue to follow me and you're going to see that I'm really that Jacob's ladder. Go back and read the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis, that I'm the one who makes the way from heaven to earth, who is the mediator between God and people. And I'm, it's on me that prayers get answered, that messages get sent, that the world gets taken care of. Jesus right here is claiming to be the mediator of, our, of the whole world, to be the solution of sin that separates us from God in heaven. And Jesus said, Nathaniel, you're going to see what all of that means in your life. And you're going to experience that as you follow me. You're going to see greater things. You see, this is the part for the Gospel of John that's good for all of us. Folks, I don't care how long you have known and followed Jesus, but God is still unveiling and revealing to you the depths of some of these things in your life. The needs that you have deep prayers for things that you've not even prayed for yet. You're like, Sean, I know I've prayed for some stuff from God I've received, but there's stuff in each of our lives coming down the road that we haven't seen anything yet, and God wants to reveal that Jesus really is the one that made it possible for us to know God and to experience Him, to have His, our prayers answered, to Him to work in our lives. That's step four we never leave. We just simply follow Jesus. You know, the Bible describes followers of Jesus. It calls them disciples. Disciple, the English teachers in the room will love this. The rest of you will be like, I did not like, not like grammar growing up. Disciple is a noun. There is not a verb form of it in Greek, in the original language. It switches words to give the concept of what disciples are supposed to do. And the switching is follow. Disciples are who we are. Follow is what we do. In English, it works. We're followers, right? You can be a follower and you follow. What do disciples do? They follow. <laughs> That's all we're supposed to do is follow Jesus, very simply. We're to follow our Lord, listen to His teaching, be amazed and worship and praise Him, obey what He tells us to do, Follow, go out and accomplish the commission He sends us because every person who's a follower of Jesus, he's got, He gives them a job to do. In reality, he gives us all a new name. It's called Christian. We've got one Christian in the house. Oh, he's not here. He's out back. But he, we've got one Christian. But we're all one. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a Christian. And he changes us and he sends us out on a mission and a commission. And that's what it means for us to be a follower of him. So folks, this morning, I don't know what step you're in. I don't know if you're at the step two of coming and seeing. I want to challenge you. Explore, ask the questions you need to, but go to step three to where you believe and surrender. Honestly, folks, I would say about a third of the people that don't know Jesus and aren't followers of Jesus, they're religious people, they're good people, but they just don't know Jesus. They're not saved. When they come for a while, they're in step two, come and see.
and I hate this reality, I wish every one of them would go to step three and surrender, believe and surrender. I'd say a third of the people don't for whatever different reasons. They taste it and they realize like, oh yeah, this Jesus thing is too intense. I don't want to surrender my life to him. They don't say that directly and they don't say it to me, but that's what's going on the inside. This is just too much. Like this, yeah, I, I just want to dabble and play at this. That would be like saying, you know, I want to be a fantastic violin player, but just, you know, just still doing your little scales and just, just picking up a violin, you know, once in a while. Like for you to be a follower of Jesus, You've got to surrender everything. So I challenge you, if you're at that come and see stage, to be careful. It's a dangerous stage. Keep coming and seeing, but you need to make that commitment in your heart to settle it and nail it down. I surrender and believe in Jesus. And if you've taken that step, then you're, that, that one's kind of a moment in time step, then you are automatically in step four. And are you really following Jesus now? That's all that he really asks is the simplicity of our life. Are you following him? This morning in my devotion time, for me, that meant as I was reading Colossians 3 and reading through the passage, God was talking about forgiveness. I sensed the Spirit of God saying, Sean, you need to deal with some forgiveness in your heart. And I began going through relationships, the things that I kind of thought you know, were no big deal. I'm like, yeah, that really did. I felt offended or whatever. And God, following Jesus, was saying, hey, Sean, you're supposed to forgive. Are you allowing that? Or is Jesus really what's important to you? Do you get up in the morning? And I would wish I could tell you I do this every day. I try to make a point of it. But uh, this week, even specifically, I remember getting up and be like, you know what? God, whatever I do today, I want you to be in charge today. To be honest with you, there was much of my day that I wasn't in charge of. You have those calendars, right? You know, you're just responding to other things, other people in your life. But God, I want to do today what you want me to do. Accomplish those things, but I am yours. I'm here to follow Jesus. Is that where you are in the simplicity of your life? God, you are in charge. I want to learn from Jesus. Lord, would you be changing my life? And you are in charge today. Not just something I committed to last year or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, but today I just want to simply follow Jesus. What's God spoken in your heart this morning? What step do you need to take? What commitment do you need to make? What conversation do you need to have with Jesus? If Jesus were sitting down right now and he looked at you, what would be welling up in your heart that you need to respond to him about? What would you talk to him about? That's the conversation that you need to have with him. Our team is going to come up, and as I'm going to pray in just a minute. And this is really your response time to just... Have that conversation between you and God with whatever God's been speaking your heart about. If it's something that you've just been excited about how God reaches down and draws followers to you and you're that follower, maybe you've got a heart of gratitude and thank God and praise Him for that. Maybe you've got children that you're like, God, I don't know if my kids have taken that step. I don't know how to do that. Maybe it's a time for you to pray and think about those conversations. Maybe it's a time where you need to say, all right, Lord, I know that I've been playing around with this. I want to take that third step. And maybe you right now need to just simply say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to save me and forgive me my sin. I trust you. I surrender and yield my life to you. Whatever God's been talking about, it's your time to respond. So 
I'm going to pray, and our team is going to, we're going to sing. I mean, you can sing as well, but if you want to pray where you are, do that. But respond as well how God has spoken to you. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for Jesus who calls people. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of how he called Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel that we read this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you call us today just that same way and that same simplicity and that you use us to call others to you. Help us, Father, as a church and as people to represent you well, to simply usher that invitation. Come and see, to invite people to simple events like this packing party or to church or invite them to our house to just simply have dinner, to get to know us better and to see what you might be up to in their life. Lord, would you help us to represent you well? Lord, we truly want to be that church that helps people experience life change by knowing and following Jesus. That's what we've talked about today. So, Father, help us to live that out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.